HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Two percent, two percent, two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there, I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program was brought to you by Domain. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. For more information, visit domainstorage.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we are coming to you a little bit late today. I am so sorry about that, uh, but for those of you tuning in live, thank you so much. I appreciate your uh, your dedication to that. But uh, for those of you who are listening on iTunes or Stitcher on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, uh, just ignore that. We started right on time as always. Uh, <laughs> I do want to remind everyone that um, we are at a new time, uh, 11 o'clock, and when I am not here hosting In the Drink, you can find me this summer at Alta Linea at the Highline Hotel in Chelsea on 20th between um, and 10th Avenue, uh, or 10th Avenue between 20th and 21st. It's a great outdoor restaurant. It has barely rained at all this summer. We've had a beautiful, uh, beautiful weather. It's a great place to sit outside, sip a frozen Negroni, or have some really excellent uh, Italian wine. Um, 
Today, very excited. We have uh, a very important editor in the uh, in the studio with us today. We have Susan Kostrova. Did I say that right? I'm so sorry. Very close. Kostrava. 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 Uh, she's the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Uh, she oversees the editorial direction of the print magazine, as well as d- all the digital initiatives for the media company, uh, and is a formal, formal, formal taster on the magazine Wine Tasting Panel. Um, she's also the author of numerous food and wine and travel books, including Opus Vino. Um, and she used to live in Sonoma before moving to Manhattan in 2005. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the recent list of what makes a great uh, wine list, what makes a great wine restaurant. Um, but I also want to say that Susan has had some really is- interesting uh, recent interview subjects, including such luminaries as Thomas Keller, Danielle Ballou, Tyler Florence, Francis Ford Coppola, and even Eric Trump, who I believe, I cannot verify this, but I believe he is a fan of orange wine. Yes, he is. He is. Yeah. I knew it. His father, not a big fan of foreign wine, though. No, not that I know of. I think that Eric's a little bit more of the connoisseur on the wine side, a little more experimental. Somehow, I believe uh, I, I believe that you're telling me the truth on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, welcome. How did you tell us about how you landed this really amazing job and how you came to, to New York? Okay, well, um, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, previously a travel writer in San Francisco in the Bay Area in Sonoma. And uh, just, you know, through loving the wine and food experiences I was having when I was traveling and, and being asked by our readers uh, at the time to tell them more about where to dine, I fell sort of into the wine writing side of things. Um, but as much as I loved California, I recognized that it, from a publishing standpoint, New York is a great place to be. So, um, and certainly from a culinary standpoint, New York is a great place to be. So just started talking to people and, uh, they were interested in me and I was interested in them. And that's kind of how I ended up here. Wow. So I just recently came back from a trip to Sonoma and Napa. And I think that other than visiting Kathy Corson, um, I don't think that any of the producers I visited were making wine under their label at the time that you had left there. It's probably uh, true. How have things changed uh, in these uh, past 10 years or so? Oh, I think that in Napa and Sonoma, what's happening that's so exciting is you have a new generation of winemakers coming in, and they're really shaking things up. And I think that's great for the wine industry. It's great for those regions. Um, Not only are they taking their new approaches to the varietals that we all know and love from those regions, but they're they're really pushing experimentation and plantings of new varietals. Uh, and I also think what's great about the new generation of people coming into Napa and Sonoma is they really have traveled a lot. They've done harvests all over the world. They have a, an international perspective that they're bringing to California, and I think that that's always a good thing. So it's it's exciting. It's very exciting to see. Yeah, and so in your in your job, how much traveling are you doing? How much tasting? How do, how's it work? I imagine you have a team of writers and editors, and is it really just telling them what to do and making <laughs> sure that everyone else is doing their job, or what, what are you doing firsthand? As well? um, ideally, I'm doing a little of that too. Okay. I mean, obviously, my role now I'm doing a little bit more of the management and overseeing of of those programs and people. But I, it's really important for me personally to continue to write to continue continue to taste, to continue to travel, not only because it's what I love, but also it's the best way for me to understand what everyone else is working on. And so I do travel a lot. 
um, to Europe and around the U.S. And I cover Greek wines, actually, for the magazine. Mm-hmm. So try to get over there once a year if I can. Um, and uh, so... And you continue to write. And are you writing books still? Is that something that you're um, still pursuing? I not right now. I mean, I've, you know, I've sort of went through a stage where I was doing a lot of, of book work. Um, but mainly just for me, it's wine writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a piece that just come, just came out on Osirtico. Uh, I'm doing a piece on Milan travel. So, uh, you know, travel, wine, food is still something that I'm focusing on as a writer. And, and certainly we focus on as a magazine. So I went to Santorini a few years ago. And I think for someone who likes to drink wine and to travel, there is uh, at no better place that I've been <laughs> to than Santorini, where you can have even the co-op there yeah. makes compelling, interesting, site-specific wine that I really, really liked. And that was probably the least interesting producer there, and I loved it. Yeah. No, it's from a travel destination, I agree. It's so fascinating. I mean, pretty much anything that you're into, whether it's food, whether it's it's wine, honestly, even if you're into geology, you can find something on Santorini that's interesting because it's just so unique. There aren't many places in the world like it. Or if you're just a beach bum. Exactly. You You can can sit on the beach and just do that if you want. And and I did some of that as well, so. (laughs) Best best travel day wine day of my life was uh, at a restaurant called the knot in i don't remember the uh how you say it in in greek but we went for a swim they let us they let us change in the bathroom of the restaurant we went for a swim had lunch with hatsadakis yeah great uh really i want to say idiosyncratic like a, a unique winemaker on Absolutely. the island had an outstanding lunch Went back to the beach, which was right in front, yeah. had massages on the beach. Was that in Parissa? Maybe. Yeah. There's a great beach in Santorini, and I, I think I had a very similar day to yours, which, yeah, massages. It sounds, you know, take a swim, tastings close by. I mean, nothing's far in Santorini, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of diversity of things to do. So, yeah. And Milan, not- is there interesting wine drinking and travel in, in Milan? There is. And, and the focus of my piece, um, pieces coming out in uh, September, September issue, is that Milan's one of those cities that a lot of people go through for business, yep. Yep. you know, fashion industry, uh, business focus. There are some amazing wine bars, amazing cocktail bars. There's a really vibrant scene happening there right now. And I really hadn't spent any time there. So this was an eye opener for me. And I, I'm excited to tell people about it because, I mean, obviously Italians have an amazing grasp of wine and food uh, and cocktails. But it's it's just there's a vibrancy and a new sort of uh, energy in Milan, I think, that that people should check out. Did sure. you hit up any of the classic aperitivo bars? I did. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's... That's a, and something that I'm particularly interested in, and uh, Milan is really the place, from what I understand, that uh, that it's, it's strong, so I, though I haven't been. Yeah, there's there's a wine bar, actually, that has great aperitivo called Nombre de Vin, and that's, uh, you know, it's, to me, it's sort of one-stop shop for anybody who loves wine and aperitivo. And it's what's cool about it is it's built in a, uh, an old refect, refect, refectory from the 15th century, 16th century, um, and... Uh, they serve amazing, you know, sort of different meats and cheeses mm-hmm. and have an incredible wine list. Um, and it's, it's, what's great about that is it's really popular with locals. So it's not just sort of a tourist trap. It's right. something that whether you live there or you're visiting, there's a real scene there and, and it's great for people who love wine and food. So would you recommend going to Milan as also part of a wine trip to Piedmont? 
Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like that's it's close yep, by. Or I would. Valle d'Osta yeah. could be interesting. Yeah. No, I think, again, I think it's something that people, a lot of times, will fly in and out of Milan and maybe right. not stop and actually check it out. And, and it's definitely worth a good day or two to, to wander around and, and, and experiment and taste and drink. So. All right. I, that's something that I'm learning about Italy right now. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that article. All right. So right. we're here today to talk about the top 100 wine lists of New York City, top 100 wine restaurants of, uh, I'm sorry, not New York City, but of the country. Yes. Um, and how, what were the parameters that you used to, uh, to create this, uh, this list? Well, I think that we approached it very much as an editorial team. So this was not a list that is chosen by one person. It's chosen by our entire team. Uh, and there are a lot of different aspects that go into it. I mean, obviously, you want a wine list that reflects not only the breadth of what's happening in the wine world, but the trends. And um, also service was hugely important to us. But what I will say is our list, what I think is unique about it is it's it's quite diverse. Um, and there are really diverse experiences to be had at each of these restaurants. However, at the end of the day, regardless of tone, regardless, regardless of the focus of the wine list, there's an experience that we feel that is an overarching experience of experimentation, of uh, approachability, um, and really sort of a collaborative effort with the, the wine director, the chef, and the consumer, and the actual diners. Uh, there's a conversation there rather than a dictation, and that's something that we really feel strongly about. Yeah, I, I love the approachability aspect, and uh, I think that's been going on for for a little while now, and, and, and I think it's a really good positive thing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of experimentation, what have you seen... Uh, it, it seems like wine can be limiting in how much you can experiment uh, outside of just choosing wines that people haven't seen much before. Where, where have you seen some of like, the innovation and experimentation when it comes to wine programs? Well, I think the way in which their wine programs are organized, mm -hmm. um, the way in which they, it, that is conveyed to the diners and the menu and the way that the wines are organized even on the wine list, um, I think that I've seen people really taking, I don't want to say a risk, but they're taking chances. They're saying, you know what, I don't necessarily have to have a huge, widely geographically spread wine list. Actually, I think I might focus on something and commit to it a little bit. And uh, you're seeing more of that where a wine director will say, all right, you know, right now I'm really excited about sparkling wine. And I really want to talk about, you know, wine from French Accorto or sparkling from Tasmania or something of that type. But it's it's focused on sparkling. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, that is a real point of view, mm -hmm. um, which I think is interesting for a diner. They can come in and say, wow, I really I'm interested in this journey that this wine director is going to take me on. And. I'm excited to learn more about what they know. And uh, so it's it's a combination of a lot of things. And then, of course, experimentation in that there are so many interesting wines from so many new regions coming out now. And, and you're seeing you're seeing wine directors, again, commit to these interesting wines. Maybe it's something from the Finger Lakes in New York. Maybe it's something... Uh, you know, from Croatia, whatever it is, they're they're also bringing in those new trends to their wine lists, or even classic areas yeah. that have uh, producers like Matthiessen in Napa, where it maybe it's a classic area, but it's it's different. Yes, you know, when I think of what makes a a, a great wine list, um, it's you know, it's 
an approachability so that guests can always find something that they like uh, at a different price point, at different styles. Mm-hmm. It's compatibility with uh, with the food. It makes sense, right? You don't have a Japanese restaurant and do Vega Sicilia for like a casual itzakaya. Like it has to like kind of make sense. Um, so the guests like it, the compatibility of food. As an operator, I think it has to like work functionally with with your space. You have to be able to retrieve the wine quickly and right. you know in a timely manner and the everything has to be accurate but then the fourth thing which i think is really important and you touched on is that point of view and having uh, saying something with it having a, a taking a little bit of an artistic curatorial stance i think is is important and uh it, it's you're seeing a little bit more. I just went to a restaurant in Gowanus. I don't know if you've been down to Freak's Mill yet. Um, they have, uh, and it's I guess it's not for everyone, but uh, it definitely speaks to my own sensibilities. They have a huge list of Chenin Blanc and Beaujolais, right? And a small amount of uh, of other stuff. But they, it's like they're really really focused on it, and I like that because then you can have a real conversation about those wines, and the and they they they're going to know them better than than anyone else. And I think what you do also when you have a point of view and direction in your wine list, the the wine director, the psalm, has an easier time talking about what's happening there. You know, I think even the best trained person on the floor, if they have a list that is. And not to say that there aren't amazing deep lists that have psalms that can speak very well to everything on it, but I think it's it's easier for someone to say, like, I understand how, in a way, these wines are all connected, and I know how to convey that to somebody who's dining in the restaurant. Because it can get a little crazy when, you know, it's it's so encyclopedic that you can't really connect sort of why you're doing what you're doing. Right. So now you have restaurants from all across the country. Mm -hmm. Did you find a real pressure to not focus on the most obvious, uh, obvious markets and to really search? Was it hard to find restaurants that weren't in the most obvious places? Well, if you'd asked that question, maybe even five years ago, I would have said yes. Um, but what's happening now that is so exciting is the, there are so many emerging markets in the U.S. for great wine lists, for great restaurants, that uh, in the last two years, I'd say it's been much easier for us to, to uh, find great restaurants. So you're talking about places like Baltimore and Savannah. Um, obviously, Boulder is, is, is somewhat known, but Nashville, I mean, they're you name it, there's something really interesting happening. And I would even argue some of the more interesting lists and more interesting perspectives are coming from those cities. Um, and I, I think it's a combination of the Psalms and the wine directors in these places. They don't have the burden, to some extent, of a legacy that maybe someone who's who's representing a list in New York or San Francisco or LA might have. And they also have diners who are coming in who are open, who maybe don't know what they're they're ready to try. And so there's a lot of innovation happening in those emerging markets. And it's every day there are new restaurants opening in, in places you wouldn't expect. Madison, Wisconsin's another mm-hmm. one. And, you know, and uh, it's it's really great. Which city is an, an unexpected, I guess, for a closed minded New Yorker, like an unexpected hub of what you like say, oh, I never would have thought that that place has not just one or two great places, but a, like a, a lot of places, multiple places that are that are really interesting. Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland's got some really interesting restaurants coming up. Good wine lists. Um, you know, I think, again, uh, Charleston, uh, 
Nashville, I mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, I think the Midwest is something that that Midwest in general, Cleveland, Madison, Chicago, which is, you know, a mature market, but they're really coming into their own on the on the wine side and, and attracting amazing talent. Um, there are a lot of Detroit is another one that I think is really interesting and some great innovation happening there. Um, so the Midwest, you know, never quite known for, for any of those programs before. And there's a lot happening there. All right. Midwest is the wine drinking next frontier in America. On that note, we're going to just take a quick break and we'll be back with more. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. Since 2003, they've focused on making collecting easier and more enjoyable. With over 1.5 million bottles in storage across five facilities, Domain is the largest network of wine storage warehouses in the country. Warehouses are located in Chicago, St. Louis, Metro New York, Napa, and Washington, D.C., with refrigerated shipment hubs in dozens of cities. Their service also extends to the home collector. In the last decade, the team has organized and inventoried more than 1.7 million bottles in home sellers across the globe. Recently, Domain has launched a marketplace where clients can buy and sell wine. Trading in the network ensures that wines are stored at Domain facilities and commissions are the lowest in the industry. Go to DomainStorage.com to complete an online questionnaire and someone will get back to you within one business day. All right, we are back with Susan Castrava, the uh, editor-in-chief of Wine Enthusiast magazine, and she's out with their new Wine Enthusiast 100 Best Wine Restaurants 2016. A uh, great picture of a friend of the show, Patrick Cappiello, right on the, uh, on the cover. Um, so these are 100 restaurants all across the country, and you have uh, put them into different categories, um, classic restaurants, laser-focused restaurants. How did you come up with the, with the categories, and um, can you go through what, what all of them are? So we came up with the categories in a couple of different ways. One was we talked as a group editorially about some of the trends that we were seeing as we were going into restaurants. So it happened that way, but it also happened as the restaurants that we were talking to were sending their lists in, and we started to see trends in what they were doing, what they were focusing on. Um, so, you know, I think it, 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 was a, it was a combination type of situation. Um, so categories that we have this year, um, we did group uh, grand openings as one of our categories. Mm. So this is everybody who opened this year that we think is notable and hitting the ground running really fast, which is unusual. Sometimes when restaurants open, they have you know, rocky, rocky times in the first couple of years. This group has done really well. Um, Especially in, at the beginning, you know, when you have a lot of wine inventory, that's just yeah. tying up a ton of your money of in something that's just, you know, just sitting there. So I know with our restaurants, it took 
took years for us to build deep sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's really cool that you have that as well. Yeah. And I think for those restaurants, we'll be revisiting them, you know, with interest over the next couple of years because they may continue to get even better. But uh, another category of ours is steakhouse restaurants. Mm -hmm. So this was interesting because I think we're seeing a trend with traditional steakhouses getting a little bit more creative with their wine lists and breaking their, their diners out of sort of just the, the big cab, uh, trend. So I love that. And, uh, the first steakhouse that I went to that had an interesting wine list was here in Brooklyn, St. Anselm, mm -hmm. um, which did not have any wine that you would ever think of being on a steakhouse wine yep. list. And you find that a lot of times those wines go really well. Those sort of low alcohol, higher acid steak has so much fat, yep. right? And that acid just refreshes your palate. For me, the best wine with steak, and I'm a total talophile, so it makes sense, is Sangiovese. Something mm -hmm. like Sangiovese and mm -hmm. not even an older Sangiovese. Yep. Something that's young, that's yeah. raw, that has acid, that's tannin. Yeah, that's that's a, an excellent pairing. And, you know, I think the other thing that's happening with a lot of these restaurants and the restaurants that we chose for that category on our list is the different cuts of meat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're experimenting more with where they're sourcing their meat. Um, so there's a lot of diversity in just the actual dishes. And as part of that, they're bringing in new wines to really pair well with those. So uh, we also have by the glass. So we've we've really tried to highlight the restaurants because, as we know, that's a great way for people to learn about wine. They're not committing to a full bottle. They're trying glasses of wine. And if you have a lot to offer on that front, it's it's really, you know, it's something that I think is the best way to learn. So, and you guys are into the Corvin. You're you're fans yes, of it, big time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You, you there's a picture of it in the by the glass, and <laughs> you mentioned how that that allows for additional diversity, the ability to open up things that you normally couldn't. You never would have access to necessarily unless you know you were. Really willing to commit yeah. to something, so we we love that. Another category that I think is really interesting is the tasting menu experience. Mm. So these are tasting menu only restaurants. You talk about point of view. This is the extreme version of that. This is where the chef and the the wine director Sam have basically said, "We are the ones. We're going to create this experience for you. You need to put your faith in us." Um, and we've chosen restaurants that we think know how to do that well and and really do create an amazing experience. So. Yes, I had a great meal last night at Contra. I see. Mm. Of wild air in here, which yeah. was it was fantastic. I love tasting menus uh, in, as well. It's really nice. I like to not have to choose, but I find that I, I very rarely go with the wine pairing. Mm. I'm, not, I'm conflicted on that uh, because so often I will taste a wine and uh, with with a rep, especially that they know that I like kind of more esoteric wines, and I'm like, geez, I would not want a whole bottle of this, maybe not even a whole glass, but in a, if I had a tasting menu to do a wine pairing, I could totally see this fitting, like really wanting to make this work with a dish right. and giving someone a taste of it, right. uh, which doesn't line up with the way that I actually yeah. would order. I usually would order a bottle. Are, are a lot of those, those restaurants doing the tasting menu wine pairings? Um, yeah, they are. Again, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a commitment and mm -hmm. it's a trust that you put in the wine director and the psalm. Um, but I, there, there are different ways of looking at that. And we even in the, in the piece uh, surrounding that, that list, we talk about that a little bit, which is, you know, love it or hate it. It is a trend. It is something that, that we're seeing more of, but everyone's different. Yeah. So I like the, the trend for affordable tasting menus. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another great way of, of experimenting with different foods and wines and not, you know, feeling like you're, you know, you've completely emptied your your wallet for the experience. Totally agree. Um, laser focus is another one that we feel strongly about. We touched on that a little bit earlier, which is, you know, you have more, uh, restaurants that are looking into not only laser focus on their wine lists, but also in the food they're offering. So that could be just an all Greek wine list. Molivos is an example of that in New York city where, you know, Kamal Kari, who, who runs that program is really knows the ins and outs of, of Greek wine mm-hmm. and the food of course, as well is quite focused. Um, so, so we're definitely seeing that, uh, and find that interesting. So, and then, you know, one other thing that we, we did touch upon is we, we always release a list of what we consider under the radar food and wine town. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, one of the areas that, that we didn't talk about was Texas, you know, that, that Texas as a, as a location, you're seeing more innovation in wine and food. Dallas is, is a city that never was really that well known, I don't think for great wine experiences or at least super adventurous wine experiences and we're seeing that come sort of that's changing now which is kind of exciting yeah, you have quite a few texas restaurants on this mm-hmm. list um so you you put out a list like this i can only imagine the kind of conversations that it started i mean how how much kind of oh you should have included this one i can't believe this wasn't on there like this has to be uh if wine, wine enthusiasts are nothing if not opinionated absolutely but that's the whole point we want that dialogue and we i mean honestly even as we choose in the editorial group before this ever goes out into the public we have those debates it's pretty it's pretty passionate um, so we know if we're having those discussions that the, the, the actual public will, and we want that, and we really, we really invite people's input. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to hear what you have to say. We want you to tell us what we should be looking at. Um, this is part of how we also learn and, and discover new things. So it is, there's a lot of discussion that goes on. There's a lot of debate, and um, I think it's fun. I think that's, that's what, what you want, um, you know, and... and these are really interesting topics, and people are learning something new every day, every time they go out to dine. So, yeah. I was just about to give you a hard time for not having the progress on this list, and then I saw it's actually on the list. Oh, good. <laughs> I just I just came back from there on my trip, and I thought that was such an exciting yeah. wine list. Mm-hmm. I had Jolie Laid Gamay, which I didn't even know they produced, and that was so cool, and that, that they're doing such great stuff yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, I, I hope that, you know, most people feel when they go out to dine they want to learn something in a fun setting obviously and we talked about accessibility and i one of the other things i want to mention that i think is important in this list is that we really looked for programs where the wine program really felt they were working for the diner you know and not only in their philosophy but in the way in which they interact with people coming into the restaurant I really want people to feel like they can put Psalms and wine directors to work. It, you don't work for them. They work for you, you know, and, and feel okay asking them and feel, feel confident in, in using their expertise and knowledge and, and also feel confident if you don't agree with something that they recommend, that's okay. You know, you can like what you want to like, but I'd love to see a dialogue with people going into wine restaurants or restaurants and talking to, to these people on the floor. They really know what they're doing and uh, they're a great resource. Have 
have you gotten feedback from your readers that they are more comfortable in having those conversations? I think so. Yeah, because yeah. I, yes, we have. And, and what's great is as people in the States are getting more comfortable and experimental in their wine knowledge, they're feeling more comfortable having these discussions. And that's really what they should be. They should be fun discussions. They don't have to be, you know, something that, that stresses you out. They don't have to be formal. It can just be what a fun thing to go into a restaurant and know the wine director and say, Hey, what, you know, what's new or what have you been tasting? Or I just had this, I love this. Let's try these things together. And, and there's definitely more of that happening. The whole conversation of wine is, it has really opened up here. And, uh, you know, I love seeing that. Yeah. It's weird to me that people will clam up when they're choosing a wine, but they can easily say, Oh, I like steak or I like duck or I want my sneakers to have a rubber sole or a leather sole. You know, like you can say what you want with so many things, but wine people just just clam up. And I think that publications like yours are doing really good work, putting out lists and highlighting places that are are, um, doing also doing good work. Uh, It's really, really helping, uh, really helping a lot. So thank you for that. Yeah. And I I just want to add, you know, I think that's a very important point that food you know, I think there's a there's a comfort with food uh, in the U.S. that they ha- they're not quite there yet with wine, and I'd love to see people approach wine in the same way they do food. You taste a dish, you know, oh, this has too much oregano, or it's too salty, or I love the pepper in this. You can do the same with wine. It doesn't have to be that different of an approach, and and I'd love to see us get to that point. I couldn't agree more. I just wanted to thank you. Thank you, Susan Castrava, for, uh, for coming and being a guest on the show. Thank you. And uh, I wanted to thank all of you guys for, for listening. Um, look out for the new, uh, the new issue of Wine Enthusiast with Patrick Caffiello on the cover. It's also the list is online. Online well. at winemag.com. The whole list and all of the, uh, all of the trends we talked about are, are fleshed out online as well. So and It's great. You can use this as a travel guide. You're going on business to Washington, D.C. or Newburgh, Oregon, and you don't know where to go, look at this list and it will, it will tell you where you should go and uh, drink wine. A great travel guide for people who love wine. Uh, I want to thank everyone at Heritage Radio. And I just also want to remind you that In the Drink is produced by Heritage Radio Network, which is a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food and, in our case, drink. Please help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org and Click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. It's worth doing. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to David, Aaron, and the whole team at Heritage Radio. I love you guys. Uh, Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.